The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Before we meet today's guest, let me tell you about another podcast I host called Conversations on the Edge. Conversations on the Edge introduces you to a motley crew of thinkers with offbeat and bold perspectives on spirituality, community, and culture. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you enjoy essential conversations, you will love Conversations on the Edge just as much. Our guest today, Shauna Shapiro, is a clinical psychologist, author, and internationally recognized expert in mindfulness and self-compassion. She's a professor at Santa Clara University, and she's published over 150 papers and three critically acclaimed books that have been translated into 16 languages. Shauna has presented her research to the King of Thailand, the Danish government, Bhutan's Gross National Happiness Summit, and the World Council of Psychotherapy as well as to Fortune 100 companies like Google and Cisco Systems and LinkedIn. Her work's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Mashable, Wired, USA Today, Dr. Oz, The Huntington Post, Huffington Post, and The American Psychologist. Her new book is Good Morning, I Love You, Mindfulness and Self-Compassion Practices to Rewire Your Brain for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. Shauna Shapiro, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So we should let everyone know that you and I are not related. <laughs> and I have is- never presented anything to the king of Thailand. But I'm very glad to talk to someone who's written an amazing book and who has presented research to the king of Thailand. I want to start with what you call in the book the most important discovery in brain science in the 20th century. It's something called neuroplasticity. So tell us what that is. So neuroplasticity is the discovery that our brain continues to change throughout our lifetime. We used to think that the brain was static, that it was fixed, that it couldn't change. And what we've learned is that that's not true, that the brain is actually continually changing and evolving and growing throughout our life. What this means and why I think it's one of the most hopeful and important discoveries we've had in science is that it's never too late to change. 
that no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter what's happened to us, all of us have the capacity to begin again. So this is not my area, <laughs> but help me out with it. I have a brain and it may be yeah. plastic. I'm not sure. But anyway, as I understand neuroplasticity, the brain is always open to change. Is, is it always changing regardless of what we do? What's happening in every single moment is that we are laying down neural pathways and often we're laying down the same neural pathways that are already there. We're just reinforcing them. So I call these your super highways of habit, right? The, the kind of automatic pilot, automatic things that you do all the time. However, if we practice a different pathway, then that pathway becomes something that is grooved into the brain. And the more we practice it, the stronger and bigger it gets. So one of the key phrases in my new book is what you practice grows stronger. Whatever you practice grows stronger. And so neuroplasticity is not inherently good or bad because you can certainly practice bad habits, which we all do often, and then those grow stronger. So the key really is to reflect on what do I want to grow, right? What is what is the most important thing? What do I care about? And then to begin to put your attention and your intention there. So I remember way back, I don't know how far back, but let's 60s or 70s, Herbert Benson with the relaxation mm -hmm. response was his breakout book, I guess. And mm -hmm. Herbert Benson talks about, I don't think he uses the term neuroplasticity, but he talks about the same idea just so that, that people get what you're, you're saying. Now he used a metaphor that doesn't really apply anymore. He talked about vinyl records. So people either, mm -hmm. if you're young, you may be buying them now because it's hip and cool. Or if you're old, you remember them from uh, a long time ago, but he would talk about vinyl record albums and you put the needle on the album and it goes around and plays the music. But over time, the needle digs a, such a deep groove in the record that it gets stuck. And that mm. he argued that meditation and you're talking about mindfulness was a way in a sense to lift the needle out of the, the rut and move it somewhere else on the record. Yeah. It's, it's actually still relevant. What he's saying is that when we, with mindful awareness, notice that we're going down that habitual pathway, the superhighway, we actually get put back in choice. And we can actually lift ourselves up out of that rut, as you're saying, and carve a new pathway. And that's the beautiful thing is that in those choice points, in those moments, we are not only strengthening a new pathway, we're actually pruning the old pathway. Because neurons that fire together, wire together. And so as we engage in activities, we're, we're creating these paths, but we're also pruning away the old paths. So that's very interesting, the pruning away idea. So that you can actually f not just free yourself momentarily, but perhaps eliminate these old patterns entirely, or am I overstating it? I think maybe a little overstated, but if, but but perhaps not. I mean, if you think about can you still calculate the area under a curve back in middle school or something, you certainly could do that. But since we haven't been practicing, you know, that mathematical equation for a long time, or at least I haven't, perhaps we've forgotten. And so there are certain pathways that I think we can probably entirely eradicate. But but really, the goal is not 
at least for me, it's not about getting to this perfect state where you have these perfectly wholesome pathways and you've eradicated all the negative pathways. For me, I really take an approach of, can I shift just 5% more, right? Can I, can I create more, 5% more ease in my life or 5% less impatience or less reactivity? And so when I get to a moment of choice, and I pick myself up out of that groove that Herbert Benson talked about, and I start going a different direction, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just the power of shifting and pivoting from our habitual ruts is what's so key. So I'm thinking in terms of addiction, for example. So mm. you know, somebody is, is addicted to a specific behavior. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs, or just something that they do habitually, it's, it's, but it's a, a negative experience. The idea here is that when I realize I'm about to do X, which I always do because of whatever the environment is, it triggers it in me. When I realize I'm about to do X, that realization gives me a moment to not do that. Is that fair? Exactly. So when I don't do that, I'm pruning and setting a new pattern, which you hope anyway, would be a healthy one, which I guess is in, in your book, you talk about Rich Hans, Rick Hansen, uh, his notion of positive neuroplasticity. So that's what mm -hmm. you're talking about, right? That, that exactly. I'm setting a new habit, a positive habit. A, a plus, you, you did a good job reading the book and summarizing <laughs> that. That's, that's exactly it. And I think that is what for me is so empowering is that what mindfulness does is it puts us back in choice. It helps us see clearly when we're starting to go through that very well-trodden path of addiction or reactivity or whatever it is. And there's this moment where we can choose. There's this gap, this space, right? Viktor Frankl talks about that, that moment of choice. And in, in our choice lies our freedom and our growth. And so, and, and really it's about that, that gap between the stimulus and the response. So I want to underline this notion of puts you back in choice, because I think lots of people, I mean, even myself, when I'm listening to you, I expected, though I knew better, but I expected you to say, puts you back in charge, puts you back in control. But that isn't what you're saying, because if you say you're in charge, you're in control, that implies that you shouldn't be having this, these negative things in the first place. You're not in charge, you're not in control, but you're in choice which I yes. think is much more generous a term. Exactly. And I'm so glad you picked up on this because what happens is so often when we're in that moment, then we start shaming and judging ourselves. Right. And when we do that, it actually shuts down our brain's capacity to learn and to change and to engage in a new behavior. And so what happens is we lock ourselves in to repeating the bad habits because we think we're supposed to be in control. We're supposed to be in charge. Of course not. No one would choose to be engaging in addictive activities, right? It doesn't feel good. It leads to so much pain. No one would choose to yell at their child. It doesn't feel good, and yet we react. And so I think one of the keys to these practices and, and mindfulness and is really this compassion, this gentleness, this recognition that we're not completely in control. And yet through practice, we can grow resources that put us back in choice. So I want to talk about practice in a second, but I want to just see if we can apply this to one other area. 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with David Bohm, but David Bohm was a physicist, a student, and a friend of, of Albert Einstein, and also worked very closely with uh, Krishnamurti, the great uh, spiritual teacher. And in his book on dialogue, if I'm remembering correctly, David Bohm talks about you're having a conversation and there'll be things that you hear in a conversation that you don't want to know about. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to be challenged. You don't want to think a new idea. And you'll feel a physical revulsion, uh, a resistance, let's say, rather than revulsion, like in your stomach, he says, your stomach will tighten. Maybe your your breathing will change. It's an automatic response to just defending yourself against a new idea. If I'm following you correctly, my react my reactivity is the old ruts that I'm in, and that mm-hmm. there could be a moment of choice here when I feel okay. My stomach is is tight. I know I'm gonna. I'm hearing something I don't want to hear. Now I'm aware of it. I'm in choice, but how do I make it over? Yeah, you know, to the next step. So important, and I think what you're asking is so important for relationships for families for our country you know we're so divided right now and people are going to need to learn how to listen to things that they don't like and one of the i think powers of mindfulness is that it helps us remove all of our conditioning and our biases and our assumptions and our judgments and it lets us see things clearly The word mindfulness means to see clearly. So as we're listening to someone and we start having judgments and we don't like what they're saying and it's starting to knot up our stomach, the first step is just to notice our reaction, right? Often we don't even notice it. So to notice our reaction and then not to judge ourselves or, you know, or judge them, but to have this kind of clear seeing kind awareness. Can I just be open and curious to what they say? I don't have to agree with it, but can I actually hear it and see it clearly without judging it? And then once I see clearly, I can respond effectively. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So is it simply a matter of awareness or do you recommend, because there's all these practices in the book and I'm not in any way <laughs> doing it justice, but okay, so so I'm either in a conversation with someone or I'm just in a situation where my compulsive overeating is triggered or whatever my addiction may be. Mm-hmm. Is there something specific I can do besides just notice? Right. Of course. So as I said, noticing is the first step. So when you're in, let's say, a compulsive behavior and you're about to kind of late night binge and overeat, the first step is to become aware of it, as as you said. So that's your mindfulness and to become aware of it without any judgment, without any shame. The second step, and this is radical for most people, is to treat yourself with compassion, to say, oh, sweetheart, you're feeling really lonely or out of control or anxious or whatever whatever the the stimulus is for the binge for overeating to have this compassion for yourself 
And what that does, it seems like, oh, you're just being nice to yourself. Maybe you'll just indulge even more. But actually what it does is kind of alchemically, it starts to soothe the nervous system because really any addictive behavior, it's responding to some kind of anxiety. So we're soothing the nervous system and we're also releasing dopamine and oxytocin and kind of feel good chemicals that are going to soothe the addictive part that's trying to get something. And then the last thing that I invite people do, and there's kind of this three-step process we talk about in the book, is to reflect on all the other people right now who might be experiencing the same challenge. All the other people right now who might be in compulsive, addictive behaviors. I work a lot at the cancer center and I worked for a long time uh, with women with breast cancer. And we would do this practice and part of what we would do is we'd feel the, the fear or the anxiety, which is completely natural, pain. Then we'd bring kindness to ourselves and then I'd have them reflect on all the other women who right now had breast cancer and to send them out the same compassion and so there is this realization that you were not alone because so often we feel so isolated in our suffering. Like we're the only one who's ever overeaten or we're the only one who has cancer or the only one who's going through a divorce. And there's something very healing about recognizing our common humanity. So this is one of the things that was so interesting about the book. When I read the word mindfulness, I immediately think of, okay, sit down, 20 minutes, body scan, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, which... I think it's great, but many people go, I don't have time for that. That's not going to help me. And if I'm in a situation uh, where suddenly I'm being triggered to do something that's that's not healthy for me, I'm not going to be able to sit down and, and sit for 20 <laughs> minutes. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't right. work. Though. Excuse me for a minute. I need to light my incense and my candles and sit. <laughs> right, right. Where's where's my bell? I have to ring the bell. So you're offering mindfulness hits the road, you know, like. In the immediacy of the moment, you can do this. And that will, because of the neuroplasticity notion, that can can prune what's happening so that you can be in that place of choice. Exactly. I mean, the, the goal of mindfulness is to live this in each moment. That mindfulness is not just a meditation practice. The meditation practice is like going to the gym and lifting weights so that I can come home and pick up my son. The, the gym and the weights are of little relevance to my life, except that they're growing my muscles. Mindfulness is a way of living, a way of being in your life. And mindfulness meditation is just a practice to help you grow this, this capacity to see clearly in the present moment with kindness so that it allows you to respond to every moment of life. And what I like to emphasize to people is it's not just the difficult ones. That mindfulness allows us also to engage with the beauty and the goodness and the richness and the depth that we so often pass over. When we have challenging negative experiences, we tend to focus on them, ruminate on them, they become part of us. When a pleasant thing happens, it just kind of slips away. And so mindfulness helps us actually engage with the full richness of life, the, the pain and the suffering, but also the beauty and the joy. So... That brings me to the last question I want to ask you, and it's about the the title of the book. You it, you sort of open the book with this idea because it's on the cover, but it <laughs> becomes a major practice that you promote at the at the end of the book. So can you tell us about that? Because it sounds like something that people could start to do, well, when they wake up the next morning. 
Yes. For me, this has been the most powerful practice I've learned. And I understand there's a little bit of hokiness to it. And I get that more than anyone. In fact, I had to really fight for the title of my book to be Good Morning, I Love You, because here I am a scientist. I've spent 20 years studying rigorously the effects of mindfulness. And, you know, everyone said no one's going to take it seriously. And in fact, in the UK and in Spain and Germany and uh, Japan, all the other places I have contracts for this book, it's called Rewire Your Mind. (laughs) Because apparently... Good morning, I love you doesn't translate into British. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So so the reason I wanted it as the title is because this practice has radically changed my life. And I learned it many years ago. I was going through a very difficult divorce and was feeling a lot of shame, a lot of self-judgment. You know, here I am a psychologist and a meditator and I couldn't make my marriage work. And... um, I would wake up every morning with this kind of pit of fear and anxiety and judgment. And my teacher suggested I start practicing pathways of kindness and compassion instead of judgment and fear. And she said, I think you should say, I love you, Shauna, every day. And I was like, no way. (laughs) It just felt, you know, so contrived and out there. And she saw my hesitation and she said, how about just saying good morning, Shauna, when you wake up, Put your hand on your heart. It releases oxytocin. That's good for you, you know, and say good morning. She knew the science of it would win me over. So the next morning I woke up, I took a breath, put my hand on my heart and said, good morning, Shauna. And it was kind of nice, right? Instead of the fear and the shame and the judgment, I just greeted myself with kindness. And so I kept practicing every day and I started to notice these subtle shifts a little more kindness, a little less harshness. And then one morning, it was my birthday, a few months later, and it was the first birthday I'd had without my son and without my husband, and I was all alone. And I remember waking up and putting my hand on my heart, and I had this image of my grandmother, who was one of the most important people in my life. Um, I had this image of her, and all of a sudden I said, good morning, I love you, Shauna, happy birthday. And it was it was as if the dam around my heart burst and this love came pouring in the love of my grandmother, the love of my mom, my own self-love. And I wish I could say that every day since then has been this miracle of self-love and I've never felt judgment or shame again. And that's not true. But what happened is this this pathway was grooved. It was established and it grows stronger every day. I practice every single morning and sometimes it feels vulnerable and raw and lonely and sometimes it feels awkward, but sometimes I experience this profound love and it has grown in a way that has transformed my life. And so I offer it to people as as a seed they can plant, that it's not about feeling love all at once and having these miracle bells go off. It's about slowly over time, learning to care for ourselves just as we'd care for a dear friend or a loved one. It's a perfect way to end the conversation and to begin your morning. So I I hope people will experiment with that because I mean, I'm playing around with it myself. So this, this was really very helpful. 
Our guest today, Shauna Shapiro, is the author of Good Morning, I Love You, Mindfulness and Self-Compassion Practices to Rewire Your Brain for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. And you can learn more about her work at drshaunashapiro.com. Shauna, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.